False Bottom Girls guides listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson, and I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm also an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the Beer Quality and Education Manager for Orpheus Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone, and welcome to our podcast. Welcome. <laughs> everyone to false bottom girls um believe it or not a podcast about beer and brewing um yeah and not about I, our bottoms or about VA girls well sometimes about VA girls sorry you could just beep all that out okay it's a bad joke what did work sometimes jokes to work um sometimes just sometimes jokes don't work sometimes <laughs> mouths don't work so i'm but. jen and that's Rachel. And this is False right. Bottom Girls. And we are here to talk today about maturation. Not we're here today to talk about maturation. That's not maybe immature. Not about us. Although oh, maybe sorry. we do. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we do. Beer maturation. Beer maturation. Oh, okay. And we're talking about beer maturation. We're, what are we talking about? This episode actually stemmed from our one of our great Patreon members who suggested a maturation episode. That's right. a great idea because when we're talking about maturation, we're talking about a stage of fermentation. Right. I like to put it. So what, you know, fermentation is the process where the yeast eats the sugar. Um, it can last anywhere from, you know, the primary, we talk about a primary fermentation. We talk about secondary fermentation. The secondary fermentation is maturation. It could also be referred to as conditioning, aging, lagering, in the cases of lager. So there's lots of different names for it, but maturation includes all the transformations between the end of primary fermentation and the removal of yeast. So getting the beer for packaging. So all that time where your gravity starts to level out uh, your final gravity, that is. So this is your measurement of sugar in the beer. So when you start to see that uh, measurement being the same state, the same number for about three days in a row, you know that primary fermentation is finishing up, secondary or maturation is starting. And this is re- this is the time that's very important, right? So this is just because this number that you're taking a measurement of every day stops changing, doesn't mean your beer is done. Your beer has a lot of off flavors that it naturally develops in fermentation that still need to be cleaned up. Um, stuff like VDK, such as, such as diacetyl, um, hydrogen sulfide, like rotten eggs, or even acetahelahide, you know, that's your green apple taste. So all this stuff is naturally produced by fermentation and it needs time to clean up and it will clean up if you leave the beer on the yeast. So this is that time of the cleaning up period. Um, different things can happen on this time. You can treat this process in different ways. Um, I think it's important to kind of talk about secondary fermentation versus maturation or the secondary vessel, I should say. Yeah. And I think that that's when I was learning to first learning to homebrew, it was accepted knowledge. I shouldn't say accepted knowledge. Um, 
the way when you're, you know, when you're reading books, you have primary fermentation and then secondary fermentation involved actually moving for me as a home brewer, moving the beer from the carboy where fermentation had happened into another carboy to get it off of the yeast. And right. So you would move it off the yeast in one carboy to another carboy. And then, you know, you're still waiting a few days for uh, fermentation to finish. And the reason for that being with home brewing specifically and with craft brewing also in its own way for a very long time, if you were a home brewer, you did not get good quality ingredients. And I know we've talked about that on here before. So you like, I have talked to home brewers who say, you know, when I started home brewing, hops quote unquote were a pink brick that was kind of a paste and you it was just hops like it wasn't you know citra or triumph or anything it was just hops kind of like beer and the you know other home brewers have said oh i remember having to uh call wireman and ask them to fax me the (laughs) list of malt that they had available which first of all um i if I ever have to call anyone for any reason, I will die instead. Like, I just won't do it. If the phone <laughs> call is involved, I'm just like, well, not for me, I guess. So I, I never would have had wireman malt, I guess. Um, and I don't really know how to work a fax machine. It's been 10 years since <laughs> yeah. I've had to use one. But the secondary fermentation was because, again, for homebrewers, the quality of the yeast that you were able to get was not good. And so you did have to get the beer off of that yeast because you didn't have very good quality yeast. And now everyone, thankfully, has access to very high quality. I shouldn't say everyone. Uh, Most people, particularly in the Western world, have access to high quality brewing ingredients, and that includes the yeast. So it's not as big of a deal now to let the beer sit on the yeast as it's cleaning up after itself. But because of how high quality the yeast is today, assuming you are using some high quality yeast, it's more beneficial to allow the beer to stay on the primary fermentation stage. Not, it's not stay there, but not to move it to that vessel. Right. And to allow it to, you that yeast is going to continue to clean up those off flavors. And whereas that might have had a negative effect in the past to the low quality of the yeast, you're not going to be facing that. Um, it's actually going to take a really long time for, before you get to that problem, especially at a homebrew stage where you're doing five, 10 gallons at a time. A really long time. Yeah, because you also have to remember that your volume of beer and the shape of your take have a lot to do with that. So the bigger breweries with really high, tall takes have the hydrostatic pressure on that yeast that is putting a lot of weight on it that is ex- making that autolysis happen faster. Uh, you still have a good amount of time. It's not like anything detrimental within like 10, you know, it's not like between day 12 and 14 or anything like that, right. but you don't have to worry about it. Us right. as big breweries don't have to worry about it. You as her breweries definitely don't have to worry about it. Now there is this argument about, well, dry hopping is great at the secondary uh, you know, in the secondary vessel, which again, true. I think this a lot of go back. A lot of that goes back to what Jed said. That low quality yeast ingredient uh, 
today, really high quality yeast. There's a lot of arguments about yeast and hop character, the biotransformation. Biotransformation happens in every single beer. Right. But, I was just about to say, yeah. But I mean, um, when people talk about biotransformation, it's like, yeah, that, that happens. That always happens. But there is that little bit of belief that, you know, with hops mixing with the yeast can bring out extra fl- flavors. And, right. And right. I'm sure, and I'm sure it does. Everything it does. I'm actually like the more I learn about yeast and um, I'm actually really surprised that any of us anywhere could brew the beer, say beer twice. Like I, <laughs> I'm still baffled. Like seriously, once you guys really dive into how yeast works, I mean, it's an animal. It's an animal. It's a living organism. It wants to do what it wants to do. And I'm just really surprised that like we, you know, quality consistent beer could have it. But anyways, right. So- I last year at CBC, and this is a very quick story, but last okay. year at CBC, um, and I think it was CBC in somebody's presentation, he was talking about fermentation and he described yeast as yeast has tricked everyone into keeping it alive. Yes. And like, I read that <laughs> yeah. and it was like, so true. So and yes, true. because you're right. Like it is, it is an organism. And I know you've set up this on the podcast before too. Like yeast doesn't give a shit about your beer. No. Uh, and what we do as brewers is stress out the yeast enough that it produces the maximum amount of alcohol for us without killing it. Yeah. Um, so like yeast is like, especially does not give a shit about brewers. Uh, yeah. But yeah, when I read that, that like yeast has tricked everyone into keeping it alive. I was like, holy shit. I, for one, salute our yeast overlords. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, so like fermentation and maturation are considered like separate steps, but there is a ton of overlap. So it's not a, a gray, like a black and white scale. It's very like you know, fermentation could be finished within, you know, what do we say? Seven to 10 days, you know, maturation is happening. Like it's all like different yeast cells progress at different times too. Right. So like you, let's say you have a hundred billion yeast cells or whatever it is, and they're going to reproduce. They're probably going to reproduce up to at least four times. So if you like a hundred billion yeast cells, you're going to get like 400 billion yeast cells like in that fermentation, but they're going to do it at different stages. You're good, not all yeast cell produce, you know, matures the same. So you have to leave there. There's no, you know, in answer like, oh, beer's done in 12 days. Well, it also is very yeast dependent, which is also very nutrient dependent. So there's a lot of factors which really affect your beer with God, which really baffles me more that we can make consistent beer. But, um, <laughs> so there's a lot going on in maturation. It's very important. And if you take the beer off the yeast too soon, you're going to get what's called, we call green beer, uh, very young beer. So you will taste those like high levels of acetahelahide, uh, Diacetyl could be very even more present at the uh, finished product, like in the package product, especially as it ages. So it's really important to, so simple too, so simple. Like don't ruin your beer by taking it off the yeast too early. Like you're not going to leave it on too long. What's too long? Three months? Nah, two months. You know, like don't worry, like don't worry about like, about, don't worry about six weeks. 
you know, but eventually it will break down, but you have time. This isn't like, just because something's done fermenting, quote unquote, it by day seven, doesn't mean your beer's done. Maturation is very, very important part of it. I will say as a beer judge, people rushing fermentation is the biggest feedback that I give all the time. I can taste when somebody has had to pull their beer off the yeast a day or two early so they can get it shipped in time because you can taste it at the acetaldehyde, you can taste the diacetyl, it will be under attenuated or it seems under attenuated, it's sugary. Uh, So I have left, that's probably the biggest feedback I've left throughout my judging career is this would have been a really great beer if you could have just given it one or two days. Like everything you did was great up until the point that you timed it a little bit too close to the shipping window and had to pull it. Yeah. If you had like two or three more days, it would have been perfect. Yeah. Got to play your ruse. Yeah. Enter something. If you enter something that's not finished, it's not going to win. Like there's just no doubt about it. Right. And you can tell it. Yeah, right. you can still tell that it's a good recipe and that, yeah. you know, you did yeah. everything right up until this one point and it would have been so much better if you would have left it for uh, just a couple of um, a couple more days. But Rachel, before we get too far ahead, um, yeah. you had mentioned you just mentioned this and you had mentioned it a few minutes ago to talk a little bit about yeast autolysis and what that is. Oh, yeah. OK, so autolysis of yeast is when it starts to break down and die and excretes really unsavory flavors that you don't want in your beer. Um, Technically very savory flavors. Yeah. I was going to say actually (laughs) meaty flavors. Yeah. Um, Autolysized or autolyzed yeast is a um, Vegemite is that's what that is. It's used as uh, flavoring for like barbecue potato chips. Whenever, so it is actually very savory. Whenever I see <laughs> that word Vegemite, I always uh, think of I Love Lucy. I don't know if you're an I Love Lucy fan like I am, but there is a show or episode where she's like selling like this new medicine. It's called like Vegemite Veg- or Vegemite or Vegemite, something like that. And she like goes and she's like all these, she has to do all these takes, but um, the medicine actually has alcohol in it. So by the end of it, she's really drunk. And she's like, that's what I think of when I think of autolysis. I think of I love Lucy and Vegemite. So nice. That's, my, that's how I connect on my test. Right. That's your memory what, palace. What would Lucy do? Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommend. I, I mean, when I was a younger, so I don't know if you've ever turned on, I know I'm getting a little off subject, but I'll get back. I, I don't know about you, but I watched Nick at night when I was younger, like a little kid. Yes. I love Lucy was on it. I loved it. Have you watched Nick at night these days? No. And I don't want to know. Is oh. it like all of the shows? Is it like growing pains and stuff? It's like two and a half mid. Like uh, that sitcom with uh-huh. the guy who's uh, Charlie Sheen and like his brother and like the, his brother's kid live together. Do you oh, yeah. think like in front, front, like the early 2000s, probably like, like when this shit was made? I don't know. Yeah, that's that very old. upsetting. Like, <laughs> I, went from, <laughs> I went from like I Dream of GD, that was the old one for me. Like, but I Dream of GD, I Love Lucy, 
Dick Via Dyke show, probably to freaking. I don't want to talk about anymore. So anyway, yeah, that's how you know you're getting old. I actually, I have not. I don't sure. know that I've ever watched I Love Lucy. Oh, I need to because it's if, like I got into a Mary Tyler Moore. Like my mom used to love Mary Tyler Moore, and I was like, mm, I and love Lucy. Like, it's a just few years ago. Classic, I, hilarious comedy. You know, like that I got too much stuff going on and everything's going to array. And this person barely dodges this like classic, classic. So the best I have every single episode on DVD. If you'd like to borrow it. Yes. The color, the colored episode, the movie, there's like a movie. I think there's like two movies. I got it all. Someone gave it to me for Christmas once. Really? Oh, that's fun. I will have to watch it. I will watch it. That will be like, it's like available on Netflix or something. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure it is. And I I know that I would like it. Uh, But yeah, I I felt the same way when I finally started watching Mary Tyler Moore. I was like, this show is amazing. Yeah. Maybe I need to watch it. It's, it's really good. I will just catch on, you know, when you're little, some don't. But anyway, so that's my um, so autolysis. So yeah, back to autolysis. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I associate my brain goes to. Yeah. So basically, when your yeast dies, so your yeast will it goes through its phases. It goes through you know uh, a fermentation. It goes through its lag phase where it gets started. It's exponential. It's growth phase. It's uh, it's a stationary phase, if you will, and then it goes in dormant. And it and what it's doing is like hibernating basically it's reserving all of its energy and it's waiting for you to hopefully give it some more nutrients in, in warmer temperatures and live it up or it's uh waiting for you to harvest it and store it for a later date or it's gonna die right so it's just it's not gonna live forever it, it will live longer if you do certain things with it but if you leave it on there it's gonna die and when things die they smell bad and they excrete things right just like yep. humans. Right, right. You release your contents. Yeast are just like humans. If you really want to dive into yeast and fermentation, highly recommend um, some YouTube videos that just suggested me from Escarpment Labs. They're a yeast supplier in Canada, but they were doing some educational videos, I, I assume, during uh, the pandemic. And they're really great. Uh, there's four series about yeast fermentation. And oh my God, it breaks it down. It is so good. So well, wow, like this is what I've been waiting for. I kid you not. Like this is like going to the chemistry class. That's all about just making your beer better and without all, all the other bullshit. And it's just like, this is what's happening. And I've never understood anything so much more better yes. when it comes to that. Yes. The, the, the team recommend. at Escarpment Labs does a absolutely fantastic job. And I agree with you. There was those came out yeah about a year or so ago and watching those i was like why did this not exist yeah and like the all my life the ingredient books for the the brewer's publication so the malt hops water and yeast are all good with the yeast book i always felt like there were it didn't go into the level that i wanted to on some yeah. Aspects. And so the escarpment labs covers those so yeah. well where it does, it's like, Oh, okay. And I don't know if it's because it's younger people who are explaining yeah. it to people who are coming at it from the approach of, and I forgot what the method is called, but it's where basically like you start with the the statement of fact, 
and then yeah. you explain it like you're explaining it to a child. So you keep saying, yeah. but why, but why, but why yes. and building it that way. And it makes it so approachable. And I feel like with yeast, definitely with water, they start from the place of everyone has at least a master's and they'll kind of explain a few things where it's easy to explain them, but it doesn't get too deep into it. Yeah. And the escarpment labs videos on YouTube, escarpment labs, look them up, watch everything they do. It is all fantastic. And they explain everything in such a clear way. Exactly. And exactly everything that we're talking about in this episode. So we don't just as prove we're not going too off the point, but (laughs) it will break down fermentation and maturation to the best level that of understanding. Now there's one thing that I forgot to like kind of touch on that I would like to touch on when we are talking about moving the beer to the secondary vessel. If you have time, space, whatever, this could be very beneficial to your lagering process. Uh, what we do at my breweries, I just pull the yeast off the bottom of the tank. Now I have a conical fermenter, uh, you know, with pressure I can put onto it. It's it's a lot easier than doing that and moving it to a separate tank. But, uh, you know, when you're lagering, you want to get the, you know, basically you don't start lagering your beer. When I say lagering, I'd be cooling it down to a chill temperature to allow it to stay there for more cleanup of off flavors, uh, some sugars that are not normally taken up by ale yeast might continue to be taken up like multitriose or sometimes even more maltose are slowly fermented away in that process. But really the, the goal is to allow your beer to clear and clarity, like allow more of the particles and proteins and whatnot to fall to the bottom of the tank and to allow it to condition of those off flavors. But all of that should mostly be done with the conditioning, I mean, of off flavors before you crash your beer. Would you agree? Yes. And I would also say that when Rachel is talking about lagering in this aspect, it's lagering the verb. And so you can lager an ale Yes. We're just talking about the conditioning part of it. Right. That. You can lager a lager. You can lager a nail. Yeah. And uh, I, I just want to be clear about like that when you do go to lager a lager, you need to, or lager a nail, you need to make sure all the off flavors are cleaned up before that, or they will stick around. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a very, very the good point. Is, the lagerine is not maturation. Maturation has pets. happened. Maturation has happened already. Lagering is maybe cleaning up a few little things of off-flavor stage, but it's really not intent purposes. So, you know, I think I said earlier that another name for maturation is lagering. I take that back. Taking it back. back. I've taken it back. I don't want to confuse anyone. (laughs) Especially myself. Well, we appreciate that, Rachel. Thank you. Uh, so also we talk about conditioning or maturation. I would like to bring up the cask beer because, excuse me, cask beer is literally when we pull it off of the fermentation take, it's a few points above the end fermentation goal. When I talk about points, I talk about the level of sugar content and that, uh, we do that on purpose. We put it into the cask pen or firkin, the, the barrel that sits in the bar. And we 
at it at that time to allow it to continue conditioning in that pit, in that cast, to allow it to go that secondary fermentation in there to build some natural carbonation and finish the off flavors there. So I just, a little bit different technique of conditioning or maturation, but in reality, doing the same thing as right. you are in the big tank. Right. Different vessel. Different vessel, but it's still important. Same like You don't fill a cask and tap it the next day. Well, assuming you're filling the cask at the right point. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've seen uh, it. <laughs> so let's, why don't you wrap us up with talking about some of the cons of the maturation stage? Or maybe technically secondary fermentation. Yeah. So there, well, there aren't cons, vessel. but I guess some of the yeah, the the pitfalls vessel. that can happen during secondary so, fermentation. I would say that the big disagreement out there is secondary is moving the beer from secondary vessel to not. You know, do you really need to do that? Uh, if you have a low quality yeast, maybe you need to do that. Uh, but I say the most point. See, you also have to remember, Shed, that I come from <laughs> big scale brewery, not a lot of home brewery. So even my home brew equipment, like, because we got it when we went to Charlotte, was like a little SS brew tech conical thing. So like everything's very, I don't know, I have big brewer mentality. So there's a lot of like old school mentality and thinking that it's really important to move it to the second vessel because it's it's critical right so we've already debunked that we've already said it's not critical but the some of the cons of moving to the second vessel is that you are introducing this beer to oxygen at this point so you're setting up a whole new transfer uh let's hope that you're 100 perfect with your cleaning and your sanitation because that's another room for error and then Remember, like the vessel that you're moving it to, you don't want it to come in contact with oxygen, not in the vessel, not all the way to the vessel. I've seen a lot of brewers that like when I've trained them who, and it's just something you don't think about into your trade, but let's say we go to, all right, there are a lot of instances where married kegs or unmarried kegs have happened because let's say we have a half barrel, we have accounts that want sixels, we got to transfer the beer with sixels, right? All this is an extra stop for introduction to oxygen. And if you're not like that, that simple line that goes from one sixel to the new sixel, that whole line has to be purged with beer, right? You can't just have that little bit of oxygen that goes in to like that's oxygen in your beer. So there's a lot right. of room for error unless you're really trained. So for home brewing, what I typically do. And this is, I did this when I was transferring from primary to secondary. And then also if I'm doing something like a lager is if I'm transferring beer off of the yeast, that's the reason I'm transferring the beer. One of the first things I do is set the carboy wherever I'm going to be transferring it. Um, I do use a siphon. So I will typically set it up, set the carboy up yeah. somewhere so I can set the keg or the other vessel underneath it. And I will do that and let it sit for a few hours. So the motion of moving yeah. the carboy will kick up all of that yeast back into yeah. your beer. And so I'll let it sit for a few hours. Another thing that I do is I've got little plastic door stops that I'll put under the front of the carboy. So it leans slightly back. Yep. So all of the yeast will kind of slide into one spot. So I right. know when I put the siphon in, 
I'll put yeah. the siphon in on the opposite side. So I'll have be less likely to have yeast pickup. Yeah. And then the siphon, like Rachel said, you have to be careful about oxygen pickup. So the tubing goes all the way to the bottom of the carboy or the keg. In most cases, at least to the bottom and it might like sneak around a little bit just so I can make sure that when I'm picking the siphon up to start actually like pumping it and getting the siphon going, I still, I'm not like pulling the hose up and then having beer splash down and then the hose goes back to the bottom. Right. Um, so siphon definitely for something like lagering, anytime I've done a logger, I do the transfer like normal and I'll just transfer it straight into the keg and then the keg goes and yeah. whatever, like whatever the yeah, fermentation, exactly. like That's I your, have a fermentation. Which is something you have to do anyways, right? So like, you're already going to put the beer to a keg, make that your secondary fermentation vessel, like skip exactly. the secondary fermentation vessel. Exactly. Yeah. And we yeah. would also in like in Chicago, having a basement. A lot of times that's where we would ferment. And then that's also where we would let things lager because someplace like Chicago, your basement's going to stay about 60 degrees year yeah. round. Um, it might get a little bit colder in the winter. So like that's, that's a perfect time, you know, just like the lager brewers of old used to do is you put it someplace underground and especially someplace like Chicago, it's going to, yeah. it's going to get cold and stay cold. Yeah. So yes, for transferring from primary to secondary fermentation or lagering in home brewing, that's how you do it. And I would say if you get a little bit of yeast in your final product, like in your final keg, like don't fret, let it, it will be okay. Yes. If you leave it there long enough, it will start to die and create autolysis flavors. But like we have, you know, at the end of the day, you don't move the keg around and you get like the very last core. It's kind of yeasty and hoppy and stuff like that mm -hmm. is happened and it's okay. Just drink your beer, you know, within a reasonable right. amount of time, no big deal. Like, right. That's well. how, you know, your keg is about to kick. Yeah. I kicked a keg the other day and I, my like penultimate fill from it. I was like this. I don't remember it being quite this hazy. I feel <laughs> like this is about to kick. And sure enough, when I went to get another beer, it almost immediately kicked. Exactly. And that that's very fine. It's not going to be the end of the world of your beer, but eventually, if you leave it there too long, eventually it won't be. But right. yeah, so like that's maturation in a, uh, in a vessel. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's, um, so we should also say thank you to Scott. I know you said at the beginning, that was one of our um, patrons and this was Scott's suggestion. Um, and we definitely appreciate it because it's the, when in one of our conversations talking about secondary fermentation and how that's really kind of a misnomer now, um, because fermentation, the way we think of it, isn't really taking place in secondary fermentation. Um, and maturation is a much more appropriate way to describe what's happening. I do agree. Cool. Well, that's, I definitely feel more mature. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, for having listened to that. For about 30 minutes. Yes. And well, that's you know. about the most I can do um, <laughs> on any given day <laughs> is 30 minutes of being mature. So that's going to wrap us up for this episode. And before we go, uh, this will be coming out at the end of September. We wanted to give you all an update that as of now, the Master Cicerone, both Rachel and I are taking it. I think we may have mentioned it on here maybe <laughs> once or twice. Uh, that is coming up on November 3rd and 4th. So we will be taking the month of October off from new content. 
Uh, so we won't have any new episodes in October, but we will be back in November. We will let you all know um, how the exam went. Maybe Ugh. it'll just be like 30 minutes of us crying. Who knows? I just want we'll to throw up right out. now thinking about it. So right. it's definitely going to be 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, so we will uh, be going dark for the month of October. Um, but don't worry. Or as Rachel says, don't fret. We will be back in November. That? You just did. And I think it's a very really? quaint. I like when people say not to fret about things. Uh, oh. So um, good job. Like but that. we will be back in November with new episodes, you can still reach out to us at uh, falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. You can go to our website, falsebottomgirls.com. You can also find us on social media at falsebottomgirls on Instagram and Facebook. And thank you everyone for, for your support, your continued support. And, you know, that first week in November just put some good vibes out oh. in the universe for Rachel and me as we take our master cicerone exam good vibes good bribes whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes this has been false bottom girls and we make the brewing world go round <laughs>